Thank you for joining us today on the Hope Church LV podcast. We're excited that you came across this message. The sermon you are about to listen to is from our series, Rhythms of Grace. If you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thanks for joining us today. Well, good morning, Hope Church. It is really good to see you. If you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to grab them and open them up to Genesis chapter 1. That's where we'll spend the majority of our time this morning. But as we begin, I want to begin with a little exercise, a little fill-in-the-blank exercise. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you a question, a very general question that maybe many of us get asked on the daily and we ask other people. And then I'm going to put up a general response with a blank in it, and then we're going to fill in the blank in just a minute. So here's the question that I want to ask you this morning. Hope Church, how are you? How are you? I heard some responses already. Here's how most people respond. They say, I'm good, just blank. Now, before you answer out loud, I want us on the count of three to answer how you currently right now would fill in that blank. All right? Ready? One, two, three. I'm good, just Ah. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I have no idea what you said. Like literally, it was just a mess. Here's, here's the most common response that I get from people when I ask this question, as well as when I get asked the question and I respond. Here's the most common answer. I'm good, just busy. Just busy. And we are busy, aren't we? You never hear somebody in response to that question say, I'm good, just really, really bored. Or I'm good, I just have all the margin in the world. You never hear that. And when we say this, and when people say this to us, surveys and stats are showing they're not lying. Americans, on average, are more busy than we've ever been before. Psychologists have started describing this this reality like this. They call it pathological busyness. That like an invisible pathogen that's just been released into the air that nobody can see, but it's been infected, it's infected millions of people and we don't even know it. Pathological busyness. We are just simply pathologically busy. And this busyness, it's not just what happens with our physical life, it also makes its way into our interior life, doesn't it? Doesn't it? See, in the results of all of this busyness, All of this restlessness, all of this hurry that we have outside of us as well as inside of us, it's not producing us and creating us into the people that we really long to be. One stat and one survey I saw recently said that Americans this year are 40% 40 of Americans describe themselves as more anxious this year than they were last year. 40% of Americans. Maybe you're in that 40%. You and I are living at a time of history where the rates of suicide, loneliness, anxiety, and depression are at all-time highs. The results of this busyness and hurriedness and, and restlessness are clear. It's incredibly damaging. And I want to argue this morning that it's not just damaging for our physical life and it's not just damaging for our mental and emotional life. It's also incredibly damaging to our spiritual lives. I know for me personally, my spiritual life takes a hit when I am in such a hurry. 
I love what one pastor named John Ortberg, what he says about the effect that busyness and hurry is having on our spiritual lives. Tell me if you connect with this. Here's what he says. For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It's that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. Does that hit you like it hit me? I, I, I have tasted of a mediocre version of my faith, and I don't want that. He says, we just skim our lives instead of actually living them. This is our reality. You know, there's a principle, a kind of leadership and business phrase that, that gets thrown around a lot. It's, it's this phrase. Maybe you've heard it before. Your system is perfectly designed to get the results you are getting. Your system is perfectly designed to get the results you are getting. Now, if you're in business or leadership, take, take a picture. It's a good principle. But here's how it plays itself out in leadership and business. If you've got a project or you've got something you're working on, you have an intended result. You've got a goal. You've got a target, something you're aiming for. And you have a plan, Lord willing, to hopefully result in you achieving those results. That's your system, your plan, your habits, what you're doing, putting in, in order to get the output. Now, the reality is, for a lot of us, if we don't get the results we're looking for, a lot of us, what we do is we just think we need to work the system harder. We just need to try harder. And the phrase is teaching us, no, what you need to do is you don't need to try harder, you need to change the system. Now, you might be asking, how in the world does this have to do with my life and my spiritual life? Well, here's how. All of us, you and me, our life is made up of systems. Our life is the culmination of some intentional systems and some unintentional systems, some intentional habits, some unintentional habits. And all of those systems together is producing some kind of result in our lives. And so here's my question for you this morning. When it comes to the systems that are your life, do you like the results you are getting? When you examine your life, your spiritual life, your relational life, your relationships with your, your spouse or your friends or your family, your coworkers, when you are looking at your life and taking inventory, do you like the results you are getting? I know for me, I've had too many seasons in my life where the systems in my life were creating results that I did not actually want. Listen to what one pastor, John Mark Comer, says about this. I love how he puts it. He says, if the results you are getting are lousy, Anxiety at a simmer, mild depression, high levels of stress, chronic emotional burnout, little to no sense of the presence of God, an inability to focus your mind on the things that make for life, then the odds are very good that something about the system that is your life is off kilter. The way you've organized your morning or evening routine, your schedule, your budget, your relationship to your phone, how you manage your resources of time, money, attention, etc., something is out of whack. Do you like the results you're getting? If you're like me and you're here today and you go, Pastor, I, I don't like the results. Here's the good news of the gospel. Here's the good news of Jesus. It doesn't have to be that way. It can be better. Listen to Jesus' invitation to us in Matthew chapter 11. This has been a banner verse for us in this Rhythms of Grace series. Listen to what Jesus says. Listen to this promise, friends. He says, come to me, all who are weary or heavy laden. If your system's out of whack, come to me, and I 
will give you rest. Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Why? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hope Church this morning, would you use the word restful to describe your life in relationship with Jesus right now? And not just like, do you rest and take a nap every once in a while, but do you carry within your body a spirit of restfulness? Are you operating out of rest? Would people who interact with you on the daily describe you as a restful person? This is promised to us if we would just accept the yoke of Jesus and follow him. See, if you're like me, you have had too many seasons in your life where restful is not the the word you would use to describe your life and your relationship with Jesus. And that's one of the reasons why we are starting and have been in this series, Rhythms of Grace, practicing the way of Jesus in everyday life. I want to encourage you, if you haven't been following along with us, follow along with us. We've got a web page. We've got a webpage with all the sermons and helpful tips and resources and books and stuff just to continue to support you and resource you as we try to follow Jesus together as a church family. So I want to encourage you to check that out if you haven't. But one of the reasons we're, we're talking about practicing the way of Jesus is this, because Jesus was a first century teacher. And as a teacher, when he invited disciples or apprentices to follow him, he wasn't just inviting them to believe his teachings, he was actually inviting them to adopt his way of living, literally to adopt his lifestyle. You see, one of the problems, in my opinion, when it comes to American Christianity, is that we've reduced following Jesus to simply believing what Jesus taught, rather than also adopting his lifestyle. And here's the problem with that. When you and I reduce following Jesus to simply believing what he taught, here's what we're doing. We're divorcing the teachings of Jesus from the lifestyle of Jesus, and yet still expecting the results of Jesus. And Jesus' invitation for us is not just to believe his teaching, but to adopt his lifestyle. And this is why a core spiritual reality for us in this series has been this. That if you and I want to experience the life of Jesus, of love and joy and peace and patience, the fruit of the Spirit, the life that Jesus promises, you must adopt the lifestyle of Jesus by the power of the Spirit. And so the question that I want to wrestle with today then in light of all of this, is this. Is there a practice? Is there a practice or a rhythm of grace from the life and teachings of Jesus and the scriptures that can help us in the midst of this incredibly hurried and busy lifestyle cultivate a restful spirit, a restful spirit and be transformed by God in everyday life? And the answer is yes. Is yes. And so the practice that I want to introduce to you today, and maybe some of you know about this practice, maybe this is completely new territory for you, the ancient practice I want to introduce to you today is the practice of Sabbath. Sabbath. Now, you might have an idea about Sabbath, you might have no idea about Sabbath, and you might be in here today thinking, wait a minute, Pastor, I was really on board with the first few weeks of this series. 
This whole like prayer and silence and solitude and withdrawing from people and, and reading our Bible, I'm good with. But this Sabbath thing, this might just be taking it a little too far. Listen, if that's where you're at, I just want to encourage you, hang with me. Hang with me. Because I believe with all of my heart that this practice could end up becoming the most life-giving practice in your relationship with Jesus. It could be the thing that God uses to radically transform your life at every level. It's such a good practice. And this is why our sermon in the sentence, the thing I hope you walk away with more than anything is simply this. Here's our sermon in the sentence. That the practice of Sabbath is a gift to be enjoyed, not a religious burden to be carried. It's a gift to be enjoyed. And I hope as we study the scriptures this morning, you see this loud and clear. So I hope you're in Genesis chapter 1. That's where we're gonna, we are going to begin. We're going to begin in the very beginning of the scriptures. The very beginning of the story, the very first spiritual practice that is ever communicated to us in the scriptures is actually the Sabbath. And so we're from the Old Testament for just a few moments this morning. We're going to look at what the Old Testament has to teach us about the Sabbath, the design of the Sabbath. And then from there, we're going to pull out a biblical definition of what the Sabbath actually is. So in Genesis chapter 1, that's where we're going to begin today. And we're going to read verse one, here's what God's word says. You know this. In the beginning, God, everybody say this word, created. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What we see from the very, very beginning of scripture is that our God is a working God. From the very moments before sin ever entered into the world, our God is working. Aren't you grateful this morning for a working God? He is a working God. He is from the beginning working. If you know the story, for six straight days, God is working. He's creating. He's speaking. He's forming. He's fashioning. He's creating the mountains. He's creating the seas, creating everything we can see, taste, touch, and feel. He is working. Why do I start here? Here's why I start here. Because what I don't want you to think is that as we introduce this idea of Sabbath, we are also simultaneously introducing the idea of laziness. That is not what we are doing. Taking a Sabbath and being lazy is not the same thing. From the very beginning, we see God is a working God, and he is establishing a rhythm for us of working six days. And then in chapter 2, here's what we find. Look at this. Thus, the heavens of the earth... Heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested. Rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. And so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So here's what we find. For six straight days, God is working, and then he rests. Two things I want you to note from this passage. Number one, God rested. I've already said it. God has been working, and then God stops to rest. I'll say it this way. A regular rhythmic time of rest is right here in the opening story of Scripture. Before humans ever turned away from God, 
before God ever established a partnership with the nation of Israel, a pattern of resting on the seventh day was established by God himself. God literally here, when it says he rested, it's literally the word for he stopped. The Hebrew word for rested here is the word Shabbat. Can you say that? Shabbat. You guys are Hebrew scholars. Shabbat. It's literally the word for to stop or to cease. And we see here in this passage that he stopped and ceased from all his work that he had done. God is stopping to rest. And as God stops from work to rest, he is establishing a rhythm and an example for us as his people to follow. This is where we get the idea of Sabbath. Now, I've heard people in response to this idea of the Sabbath go, whoa, Trenton, listen, I understand. God rested, but like, you just don't know who I am. I've got a lot of energy. I'm an extrovert. I, uh, I'm an achiever. I just like being busy. It fills me with life. I understand that. I understand that. But listen, hear me. Here's my question. Do you think you have more energy than God? <laughs> I know you like to go, but hear me. God rested. I've heard people say in the most genuine and honest way, pastors, I, I, can't, I can't do this Sabbath thing. I, I just can't do it. Why? Because I've got so much on my plate with my work. Everything hangs on my shoulders. I can't afford to take a day to rest. And here's what I just want to lovingly say to you. I just want to remind you that the God upon whom the entire universe hangs on his shoulders, he rested. If he rested, so can you. I've heard people even say this, I'll rest when I'm dead. <laughs> you will. <laughs> but the God who has always existed and never will not exist, he rested. He rested. Rest is a regular rhythm that God has given us from the beginning. So number one, God rested. But here's the second thing I want you to see. Not only did he rest, but God delighted. Listen to this. I think this is so cool. See, God didn't just stop and rest for stopping and resting's sake. He stopped and rested to delight in all the work that he had just accomplished. So imagine this. Here's what happens. God is gone from day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six. And he's working. He's creating. He's forming. He's fashioning. He's doing all of this work. And then he stops and he looks out over all of it and he goes, man, this is good. I delight in what I've just made. See, what we're seeing is that the design of the Sabbath from the very beginning for us is to stop and then to delight in what God has done for us. To illustrate this, I have what I like to call a, a mini Sabbath moment every single day of my life. And so I'm going to have some help right here to illustrate it. Everybody give it up for Mike Ogle. Two appearances in three weeks. Love it. If you know me at all, you're, you're going to laugh at all of this. And I'm just going to be honest. I, I, I'm nervous for what I'm about to do. All right. Never made coffee in front of a thousand people, but here we go, we're doing it, right? If you know me at all, you know I love, and I mean love, some coffee. Like for me, there is literally nothing better on the planet than a single origin, third wave cup of coffee. Now, 
If you have no idea what I just said, here's what that reveals about you. Two things. Number one, you're not as bougie as you think you are. And number two, you probably like Keurig coffee. Third wave, single origin coffee. So what I've got right here, I thought I would just make Hope Church a cup of coffee this morning, all right? So I've got some coffee grounds from a lovely local coffee shop called Vesta in the city. Shout out Vesta. If you know coffee, you know Vesta. None of you do. Guys, we got to change this. Starbucks. No! Who just said Starbucks? No offense. people. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So I've got some coffee from a local coffee shop called Vesta. Highly recommend their coffee. It's really good. And what I do every single morning is I start with what uh, baristas call a bloom. A bloom. Now here's what's happening. I just poured about double the amount of water to grams in this cup. And what's happening in this moment is literally the coffee is blooming. It's, it's like it's rising. And what it's doing is it's degassing. Now, why do you need that? Here's why, because nothing worse is, nothing is worse than gassy coffee. So what you gotta do is you gotta degas it, okay? Now, what happens when you start to degas the coffee is if you stick your nose close to it, you can start to smell the coffee. Now, I don't know if you know this, but coffee, good coffee, not carrot coffee, good coffee has what we like to call notes, notes of flavor, all right? This coffee in particular, can't wait to tell you about the flavors, this coffee's notes has notes of, wait for it, green apple. Whoo! Listen, you want your coffee to have some fruit notes to it. It's, uh, it, it provides a little bit of like a sour taste to it, but like a good kind of sour. It's, it's just, I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, you got to trust me. So as I've bloomed the coffee and I'm pouring this, I'm starting, start, starting to smell it a little bit. And it's just filling my, my little soul with joy. It's not only got some green apple, it's also got some, wait for it, caramel. Yes, love some caramel in my coffee. <laughs> and then the final note that's in the coffee is a note of some sweet milk chocolate. Because what's better for breakfast than some milk chocolate, okay? <laughs> And so I've got all of this in the cup, and the water is filtrating through it, and I've, I've done all this work. It takes about three minutes or so, and I'm putting all this work into creating this coffee, and then eventually my timer's going to go off, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this little, little uh, this is called a Kalita Wave for those of you who don't know and you want to buy this later off Amazon, I think it's $19.99, uh, you can buy that later. And so I take my filter out, and then... I pour myself some coffee. Oop, I'm spilling, spilling, spilling. I just ruined a book up here. It's all right. Spilled some coffee all over it. But here's what I've done. I've just poured in all this work, done all this work. And now what I do in the morning is I go to my, my favorite chair in my living room. I sit down on my chair. I get comfortable. I grab my Bible. I grab my journal. I grab my cup of coffee. And you know what I do? I stop from the work that I had just done. And here's what I do. I delight in the work, baby. Ooh, I got some green apple and caramel, people. It is a good cup of coffee. This is the best one I've made in three services. So, uh, in light of all of that, I've got a little, little extra. Does anybody want some coffee? Anybody want some coffee? Here, I got somebody. I got somebody. Here we go. 
<laughs> Morning. Enjoy your coffee. Everybody give it up for coffee. Mornay, if it's bad, just don't tell me. I burnt my tongue really bad on Thursday. When I did that, it was, it was fun. So anyway, here's the point, here's the point, here's the point, here's the point. It's a mini picture of what a Sabbath is supposed to be like. We've worked all week, and now we stop to delight in the work and the good gifts that God has given us. We stop and we delight. One more thing I want to note here is that in this story, we see that God created human beings on day six. Now think about this for just a moment. God created human beings on day six, which means that the human's first full day in creation was day seven, the Sabbath day, the day for rest. Now I love this. Think about how important this is. See, so many of us think that rest is the reward for a hard week's work. But in reality, the original and good, kind design of our Heavenly Father was that human beings wouldn't work for rest, but rather they would work from rest. Do you see the kindness of God here? This is the design of the Sabbath from the very beginning. How would your work change if you worked from rest, not for it? How would your marriage change if you worked and, and operated in your marriage from a place of rest rather than for it? Could it be, could it be that all of our problems get solved at some level when we just start going with the grain of the universe and the design of the universe rather than against it? One philosopher says that when we go against the grain of the universe, we get splinters. I know that's true in my life. See, God has from the very beginning created all of creation in rhythms. Think about it, morning and evening. The sun rises, the sun sets. Seasons come, seasons go. God has created all of creation with these rhythms that when they operate in their rhythms, things flourish. Hope Church, we do not want to be the people, the only part of God's creation that go against the good, sovereign design of God in creation. We don't want to be the only part of creation that fights against the grain of the universe. This is what's been laid out for us. See, and God desires his people to take this Sabbath so much, to stop and to delight so much that he goes as far as commanding the Sabbath in Exodus chapter 20 to God's people. Look at what it says here. This is in the Ten Commandments. God says, remember the Sabbath day. I love that it says remember. It's almost as if God's going, hey, listen, remember. Don't miss it. Remember the design. I gave you this day for you. It's, 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 it's for you. Don't miss it. Don't forget about it. Remember it. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, you or your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Notice, friends, that God grounds the command for Sabbath in the creation story. Here's the way I like to think about it. Here's why that's significant. It's almost as if 
When God is inviting his people to take a Sabbath, he's inviting his people to get a taste of what the Garden of Eden was like before the fall. God's saying, I did this. What do we know about the Garden of Eden? It was perfect. It was peaceful. It was at calm. It was as if, it was, as, it was the world as it should be. And what God is inviting his people into is to get a taste of what life was like when that was the reality. It's an invitation, and he commands it to us, and he says, he commands it to us, we are to take a Sabbath to the Lord your God. A way you could say that is that the, you are to Sabbath unto the Lord. So here's how we can think about that. Not only is Sabbathing to help us stop and delight, but Sabbathing is also to be done as an act of worship to God, to the Lord, to the Lord. Now, when I talk about worship, I don't just mean what we do in here. See, a lot of us, when we think about worship, we think about coming into here and singing some really good songs with some people who sing way better than us. Am I right? I'm over here trying to sing, and I'm like, this is pointless. I just can't match EJ, right? So, like, that's what we think of worship. It's, it's singing. And listen, what I'm, what I'm not saying is that you need to sing all of your Sabbath, though you could, I guess, if you wanted to. When I talk about Sabbathing as an act of worship, I mean worship in the more broader, broader biblical sense. Worship as your whole life oriented around the reality of God. I love this definition from a pastor named John Wimber. Here's how he describes worship. This is so good. Worship is every little act done because I love Jesus. That's what worship is. At the heart of it, that means that all of our life can be a life of worship. See, for example, every time you act obediently because you love Jesus, that's worship. Every time you choose another's way over your way because you love Jesus, that's worship. Every time you lay down your way in favor of Jesus's, that's worship. Every time you bring your mind back to God and his presence and his love for you in a moment of work, that's worship. Every time you eat a good meal, sip some good coffee, you allow and you allow that delight to roll off the good food, off the coffee, and onto gratitude and awe of God for who he is and giving you that good gift. What is that? That's worship. Here's what that means, friends. All of our life can be worship. And that's how we're supposed to Sabbath. We stop, we delight, and we worship. We worship. So, now, I know that was a lot. But when you put all of this together from these two passages, we can come up with a pretty decent definition for what a Sabbath is. So here's my best shot. A Sabbath is a day set apart from all the others where you stop from your regular work so that you can rest, delight, and worship God for the purpose of cultivating a restful spirit in all of life. That's what a Sabbath is. Now, here's my question. Don't you want that? Don't you want that? Like, Micah, if that was possible, don't you want that? I want to operate in all of my life from a place of rest, delight, and worship in my God. And if this is possible, I want to do whatever I've got to do to enjoy that. But see, here's the problem. See, a lot of people don't practice the Sabbath anymore. 
And the reason a lot of people don't practice the Sabbath anymore is because, honestly, well-meaning people have, have turned the Sabbath into a religious burden rather than the blessing that God designed it to be. We see a story of this happening in Mark chapter 2. And for sake of time, I'm not going to get into all the story, but we find a story in Mark chapter 2 where Jesus and his disciples are walking on the Sabbath. And what happens is Jesus' disciples, they decide to pick some grain. They pick some, some, some corn maybe because they got hungry is what Matthew's version of the story says. And so they pick this grain, they pluck some grain, and what happens is, is the Pharisees, the religious Pharisees, look at what the disciples are doing on the Sabbath, and then they accuse Jesus of this. Jesus, why are your disciples doing what is unlawful to do on the Sabbath? Here's what's happening. They've missed the design of the Sabbath. They've completely missed it. Because they look at somebody plucking some grain, and they go, that's work. And therefore, that's illegal on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to work. But the problem with that, friends, is that they've turned the Sabbath into a burden rather than a blessing. They've missed the design. And so what Jesus is going to do in the story in Mark chapter 2 is he's going to remind them of the heart and the gift that Sabbath is. The gift of the Sabbath. The heart of the Sabbath. Listen to what Jesus says in response to these Pharisees. In Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 27, here's what he says. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. For even the Son of Man is Lord of even the Sabbath. Here's what Jesus is doing. He's reminding the Pharisees and he's reminding us. We've seen the design, but I want to remind you of the heart of the Sabbath. And here's the heart. The Sabbath is a gift to be enjoyed, not a burden to be carried. He says, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, Pharisees, the Sabbath works for you. You don't work for the Sabbath. It's a gift to be enjoyed. I, I wonder, I just wonder, how many of us have never tasted and enjoyed what God has for us in the Sabbath because we've fallen into the trap of believing that it's just some religious burden that we've got to carry rather than a gift to be enjoyed. And so maybe you're here today and you're saying, okay, I'm good. I'm ready. I want to start practicing the Sabbath, but how do I do it? I don't know how to do it. I'm glad you're here. I, as we finish our time, I just want to give you what I call the four movements of the Sabbath. The four movements of the Sabbath. Here are four things that we're going to see that I hope are a part of your Sabbath in some way, shape, or form from what we've just talked about. Ready? Here's the first one. Number one, you stop. It's the whole point of the Sabbath, to stop from your work, from your regular rhythms of work. So here's how I try to do this. And I give this to you just as an example. You do not have to Sabbath like me. Here's one thing I know about Sabbathing with two little boys and a family. It's unique, okay? So take this as just a encouragement and as an example, but not Bible. You understand what I'm saying? So here's how I try to stop from work on my Saturdays, my Sabbath. I take my phone and I turn my email notifications off. I turn them on do not disturb so that I'm not getting emails all day of all this stuff that I'm going to have to do this weekend or next week, right? So I literally take it and I put it on do not disturb for 24 hours. And I turn it back on on Sunday morning. I did that literally today. 
One thing I did a, a while ago that I want to create as a regular part of my rhythm is on my Saturdays, on my Sabbaths, I want to literally take my phone and put it away from me and not touch my phone for a whole 24 hours. Now, I know you might be thinking, that's crazy. Here's the deal. I, I've done it a couple times. I've done it a couple times. And when I do it, I'm always so scared. <laughs> I'm literally always so scared. One of the reasons I'm scared is because I take my iPhone and I've turned it into an idol. Like I can't live without it. Like I need my iPhone in order to be happy. Such a lie. But another reason I'm so scared to do it is because I think if I just put it in a closet for 24 hours, I'm going to get all these texts and emails and phone calls and I'm going to realize without me being on my phone 24 hours a day, my whole ministry is going to just be destroyed and everything's going to burn to the ground without me being by my phone. Here's, here, when I've done it, here's what I found out. I, I learned very quickly that when I did that, here's what I learned very quickly. Oh my gosh. Sunday morning, here was the realization. I am not as important as I think I am. <laughs> I'm just not as important as I think I am. Everything's just fine. Here's why. Because I'm not in control anyway, friends. See, one of the reasons I practice Sabbath is because I want to train my heart to believe the truth that I'm not God and that's actually a really good thing. He's got it more than under control. So I stop. Number two, we rest. Here's a question for you to ponder. What is restful for you? What is restful for me might not be restful for you, but whatever we do on our Sabbath, we want to fill our lives with things that bring us rest. So for me, again, just practically, here's how I practice it. I don't set an alarm on Sabbath mornings. So I just get up when I get up. Now, before you think I wake up at 11 o'clock getting ready for lunchtime, let me just remind you, I've got two little boys under three years old. They don't sleep like I sleep. And so I'm waking up really, really early sometimes. But I get maybe an extra hour of sleep because I haven't set an alarm. I find some physical rest in that. And then, you know, sometimes I, I, I go on a walk in the mornings before my kids get up sometimes. And what is that, what is that for me? It's restful for me. I'm stopping long enough to slow down, to rest, but then number three, to delight. Here's a question for you. What brings you an easy delight? What just like when you're around it, when you have it, when you get it, it just brings delight to your soul. See, for me, one of those things, you've already seen it, it's that stuff. It's really good coffee. It brings me delight. See, I want, I want to train us. I want to help us. See, one of the things that I think we've got a problem with is, is a lot of us think that if something is categorically unspiritual, then God can't be happy in it or pleased in it or honored by it. And I just want to help you. Listen, God can be honored in you drinking some good coffee. Let me give you an illustration. A couple weeks ago, I took my, uh, my family to Disneyland. And by I took them to Disneyland, they took me to Disneyland because it's not my favorite place in the world. However, Star Wars land, amazing. Love Star Wars land. And so uh, my son, Drake, he is, he's a Star Wars fan right now. He walks around every morning. He literally, I answer the phone in the morning when my wife calls me and I'm at work. I'll answer the phone. I'll say hello. And in the back on speaker, he'll say, hello, Darth Vader. <laughs> he calls me Darth Vader. But so he's obsessed with Star Wars right now. And here's the thing. When we were going into Star Wars land, Drake saw all these lightsabers available for purchase. Now, these lightsabers, they can get pretty pricey, 
but they're sweet. They're sweet. And so Drake was like, Daddy, Darth Vader, lightsaber. And I was like, son, take my money. You can have all the lightsabers you want. And so I bought him a lightsaber. Now, there's nothing spiritual about this lightsaber. But here's the deal. My son plays with it all the time. He plays with it all the time. And when I, as his father, who gave him the good gift of the lightsaber, see him enjoying and delighting in that lightsaber, you know what it does for me as the, heart of, uh, uh, as the father? It brings me so much delight. I'm so happy that my son is enjoying one of the good gifts I've given him. What about for you? What is it in your life that's a good gift from God that you can fill your Sabbath with as a way of easy delight in God? And then finally, worship. Worship. It's the whole point. We Sabbath unto the Lord. It's a day set apart. It's a, it's a day different from all the rest so that we can stop, rest, delight, and then ultimately worship our King. What is a worshipful way for you to connect with God on your Sabbath? This is what we do. This is what's available to us in the gift of the Sabbath. And so I want to encourage you. If you're like, okay, let's do it. Maybe you can't start with a full day. I want to encourage you, maybe do half a day. If you can't do that, do two hours. If you can't do that, take a 30-minute walk. Take a 30-minute Sabbath walk. Do something where you can stop for a moment. You can rest, delight, and worship your king. This is the heart of the Sabbath. And here's what happens. As we do this, over the course of years, we become people who are embodied by the rest Jesus promised us in, in Matthew chapter 11. We become restful this is what we want to encourage you to be about today. But as we finish, I just want to encourage you with one final thing. Listen, a practice of Sabbath is great, but nothing compares to the true Sabbath. Here's what I mean. A practice is great, but Jesus is better. See, Jesus, friends, the scriptures tell us, is our true rest is our true sabbath in him and in him alone is where we find the rest for our souls see jesus has done everything necessary through his life death and resurrection he has done all the work in order for you and i just to simply rest in the work he's done for us so if you're here today and you're not at rest and you don't have a relationship with jesus hear the invitation Jesus is your true Sabbath. He's here. He's done it all. All you've got to do is rest. You don't have to work any harder. You rest. You admit. You confess that he's your Lord. You surrender your life to him. Or for followers of Jesus, maybe you're in here today. And you've been operating just in hurry and in busyness. I just want to encourage you. The whole point of taking a Sabbath is so that we could abide and rest in Jesus' love and presence for us. And so for us, I want to encourage you, if you've never considered practicing the Sabbath, maybe this is the week. Maybe this is the week that you take some moments to stop, to rest, to delight, and to worship. In just a moment, we're going to have pastors down here. And as we respond, I don't know how the Lord's leading you to respond. But I just want to encourage you to respond in whatever way He leads you. We're going to have pastors down here. And so if you're here today and you've got something going on in your life where, where you want prayer, we would be honored to pray for you.
you're here today and you want to begin a relationship with Jesus just like a brother did last service, just come down here, tell us that, and we would be honored to show you what it means to really follow Jesus and for you to experience the rest that Jesus has for you. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for today. Thank you for my brothers and sisters. God, I pray your rest over every single person in this room this morning. Jesus, thank you for the gift of the Sabbath. Thank you that you, Jesus, are our true Sabbath. You're, you are where we find our true rest. So Jesus, would, you take, would we take you up on your offer of eternal rest in you? So God, we love you. Thank you for my brothers and sisters. Thank you for today. God, we worship you, we honor you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we respond?